Hello everyone, welcome to the Tech First Podcast show. I'm your host Shivani and today we're going to talk about how blockchain is helping women to scale up their businesses. And we have our guest today, uh, Priti Kubian. Hi Priti. Hi Shivani, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, Priti is a co-founder of Coronet Blockchain and she, like, I recorded a past podcast, you guys should go and check out with Shadrach Kubayan and today I'm doing with uh, Priti Kubayan. They both are co-founders of Coronet Blockchain. So, uh, Priti, why don't you tell our listeners uh, what do you do? Thank you so much. It's so great to be here and thanks again for having me. This is going to be amazing. Looking forward to it. Right. Uh, so, uh, tell our audience how did you find about blockchain, uh, and uh, can you explain what do you do in uh, at Coronet Blockchain? No, absolutely. Um, thank you for your question. So, uh, blockchain, we bumped into it. We came to knowing blockchain because we had a number of supply chain problems we're looking for. Uh, to actually solve. So it is very true that blockchain, I think it's true for every technology that blockchain similar to many technologies, it's a solution that is looking for problems. So back in 2013, a bit on myself, on my back experience, I grew up in a family business. So I started working for the family business from the age of six. So it was just a way of life. Everybody does it. It's like, you're doing dishes today or you're going to the office with your parents. So it was just a way of life. And we're in a remote village, so we're gonna have to solve our own problems. So that was a way of life of doing business. The second business that my parents ran was a car fixing business as well over the weekends where it it ran like an apprenticeship type of of a business because we had these young boys that were not really coping in a schooling system, but because it's like a village schooling, so there is no special program. Nobody knows what to do with them. It's like, okay, if you're not doing well, there's nothing we can do for you. And then yeah. he will take them in and then give them employable skills so that yeah. they could actually learn how to fix anything electronic uh, um, and motorized from cars to grass cutting machines and yeah. other stuff. So yeah. he will do that. And then when they turn 18, you get them a driver's license, take a part of their money to save it so that when they turn 21, they will start building their own houses. So that mix of business with purpose, with really solving problems while impacting people's lives, that's what came handy when time came which led us into blockchain later on when I was working in the management consulting where a client came in and she has been working with my co-founder in in a corporate uh, job and she got retrenched, her her department closed down. So she was running this, we call it side hustle, like every, every, Woman has it because yeah. the income is never enough. Like you start your job, it's just yeah. you, and then you have a house, and then we have like 10 kids. So yeah. our salary are never enough. So we always have this side hustle stuff yeah. that we are running. So she had one of those while she was in corporate, and it was in yeah. her extension and other beauty stuff. And then when she got fired, she realized that 
she started looking for a job in corporate it didn't work and then she realized she had children she needs to put food in the table and she started taking her side hustle seriously and within a year she had like six thousand clients and she came to us and she was like you know what I think there's something here, but because I've worked in corporate all my life, it's a bit of a disorganized industry. So I need you guys to put systems in place for me so that later on I can run a, a business that is more formalized. And it was an exciting uh, a, a challenge for me personally. The reason why I was mentioning how I was brought up before where we were doing business and there's purpose and then there is really impacting people's life is because they can't, yeah. she didn't meet the criteria of a business we work with because businesses yeah. we work with should make minimum 1 million going forward back then. Yeah. So there were scale-ups. So we didn't work with a business and we did not work in an informal sector at all. We worked in yeah. organized industries. Um, so because right. of that muscle memory of impacting people's lives when we were young in business, because I thought all businesses actually run like that, I was able to convince the team to like, he is a woman who has been retrenched at work. She's not sitting home feeling sorry for herself. She wants to start a business and it could actually be something. So before I spoke with them, I conducted a, a feasibility with my team to find out that it was actually a 7 billion US dollar industry. We had about 25 million African women that spend about 290 uh, 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 US dollars every year to buy the product. So it, it had a really potential. And I gave our team a challenge to say, what if in three years from now, we can actually run this business to be evaluated at, at 3 million. We can be able to sell it to investors at that, or we can franchise it because it's going to be like the brand that everybody wants to buy into, or we can get investors to take yeah. it nationally. And it actually paid off because in about 36 months, the business was not really valued at 3 million. It was valued at 2 million. And it has a, now from a team of two, it was employing 40 people and it was bringing that 2 million US dollars every year. And it was a kind of a story that will make headlines because yeah. it's, if there was a kind of a business that a retrenched woman can start with a startup capital of $500 and three years later, she's employing 40 people, Africa needs those kind of businesses that move from side hustle into real business and really employing people. But it was that media attention that, cause that's where most businesses actually, they break. It's when now you move from starting from a need and then growth is here. And then the media attention just accelerated everything. We yeah. received thousands of similar businesses wanting the same success. And we want we had uh, mainstream retailers as well. You know how there's this department store like stores like Macy's and others where you yeah. have uh, Sephora, where you have makeup session and stuff like that. So they wanted us to have that little store across their 600 uh, branches in across the continent. So that's when we realized now that we are solving a problem of scale. A we knew there were supply chain problems of the product itself. We knew there was no consistency in the product. One shipment is fine. Next month it is not fine. 
And whatever products are sold in the mainstream, regulation is very strict. You can never sell a product that the quality is unstable. Because remember, if you and I will buy something from Walmart, for example, we don't go to yeah. Unilever to say, oh no, something is wrong with my body lotion. We go yeah. to Walmart. So what does Walmart yeah. does? They make sure that it is very strict to make sure that the products that are sold there are safe. The quality is consistent all the time. So that was a yeah. big problem. Even right. big business, facing the same thing they're telling us if we buy like a thousand handbags for the spring collection we get like 100 samples and then when the shipping comes 80 percent of it is like all different shades of blue but we ordered blue so they had to go to 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 mostly they, they had manufactured large-scale manufacturers in asia so they had to go there and make sure they manually police the quality of the product otherwise they're going to lose a lot of money because yeah. sometimes product compliance and quality assurance can be very expensive yes. uh, our companies like i uh iso certification an average certification can be like fifty thousand us dollars like that's a lot of money especially for a small business so small businesses they couldn't really achieve that and we were among those people Two, they realize that even our quality authentication process, because the businesses they work with, they are like large scale. So they have this manufacturing cycle that is like three months and then they'll come in maybe only twice a year. But our order cycle was like more consistent than that every two weeks. They had to fly to, right. to, 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 to get the product. So it was very difficult to police the, the, the quality of the product. So that was the main big problem to go right. out there to say their way to actually find a solution that can guarantee us the provenance of all products that are sold in within this brand and when we found out that obviously it must be technology to it must be reapplicable to other things as well because we knew it was yeah. going to be an expensive type of a technology and we knew yeah. or if you can tell the quality of the hair can we tell the quality of a jacket a handbag wine carpets uh, sneakers and everything that has got a quality standard claim to it yeah. can we build a system that can actually do that so that's why yeah. how we came about finding corona blockchain and we presented it to ibm we got two yeah. tranches of funding to build the technology itself that's that's quite a journey actually and it's really impressive how from some small business, uh, it turned out to be a huge supply chain. That is really a like a wonderful way to like get into blockchain and talk about blockchain. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So my question was uh, one uh, thing that I had in my mind: like, how does blockchain uh, help small small businesses? especially uh, like people in uh, developing economies like India, Africa, we have small businesses running, uh, we have a lot of small businesses. So uh, how, what, what are your views on how blockchain helps, helps those? Absolutely. So most business like the one that I, I just spoke about, especially in developing countries, because businesses start in two ways. It's either there's a gap in the market, 
meaning that there's a problem that I'm maybe facing and I know other people that are facing and somebody realized, oh, well, the world maybe instead of like taxes, they need uh, an on-demand type of a system in case of those kind of business. So it can start like that or it yeah. started off. In, so the majority of businesses in developing countries and emerging economies, yeah. they start out of a personal need, not even an industry need. They start because, not because I read some report on financial economic report, and I just know where the economy is coming. No, it's that because I need to put food on the table. So that's how most of the businesses start. Yeah. So between the starting and the scale up, that's where the problem becomes. Sometimes it's not even the starting because there's a great incentive to start a business because you're not going to eat, so you're going to have to start a business. But yeah. then when you get to the scale up, now the need has been met, and then now you are facing scaling problems, problems yeah, with right. scale. For example... Yeah. Now that you had the products you were manufacturing or you were having, now you need your products because a sustainable business must have long-term types of, of, con of contracts. Any financing institution, if they're going to finance you, they want to know that you're going to be open for the next five years. And one okay. way to prove that is to actually have long-term types of contract, having big business, being your customers, yeah. having your yeah. products consuming the mainstream. That is very yeah. exciting. But what happened behind the scene is very, very, it's, it's a very complex process in building up to that. One of those is what I've spoken, I've spoken about, which is product compliance, yeah. where you have to prove the quality of the product, make sure it's, it, it is consistent all the time and all the certifications that will be required from you, from the retailers and everybody to make sure that if it's sold, all industries are regulated and regulation and compliance can be very expensive. So that's one of the things that has really, really held back a number of businesses because when it comes to that thing of compliance, that's why people would rather like, I'd rather just keep my business small, I'll sell directly to the people that know me to, from my small shop instead of yeah. having your product in like a thousand shops instead. So that's one of the problems that people will have to solve and where the blockchain technology comes very handy because the kind of compliance that happens in blockchain is more real time. I know you will know what is happening if there's produce, for example, that are being grown somewhere your retailers actually know in real time what is happening. They can be traceable and industries are becoming more customer centric today. So is that leapfrogging from just not having systems and not being able to afford uh, a compliance and being able to use a system that could be um, real time. So the last part, which is also linked to product quality is what most businesses have faced is counterfeits. Because yeah. whenever there's a good product, it becomes in demand. People are going to start making counterfeits and knockoffs of the same product as well. And having yeah. to find out that I'm buying the right product is yes. where the blockchain technology comes handy. All right. Uh, so uh, we, we were going to talk about women and blockchain. So according to you, how many women entrepreneurs in Africa currently know about blockchain? 
just gave us a rough estimate. Um, so the knowledge of blockchain is in multiple ways. On the educational side, one thing right. that I'm seeing globally, and it's the same in Africa as well, most conferences, the majority of conferences, they always have a female speaker in blockchain. Yeah. And yeah. the cool part about it, the speakers are not just from only academia or they've written a book, they're actually implementing blockchain in their businesses. They own the blockchain startups. They own yeah. uh, IP in, in, in those kind of things. So on that side, it's a very, um, what do you call it? It's, very, it's, it's a very good trend that I'm seeing because blockchain, uh, it being more effective, academic and education within blockchain is going to have to take the center stage so that it yeah. can increase the awareness by many people. The second thing about it as well is a technical skill. So that one is, uh, I would say it's very disappointing at, at, at this stage because uh, most teams uh, hardly ever have a female, um, uh, what do you call it, a female developers in blockchain. I remember uh, a few few months ago, yeah, it was this year where we had this project where we were we were, de we were developing something for a client, and we needed yeah. about nine developers for a period of like six months where we were gonna be. We advertise yeah. everywhere, and the kind of advertising that we're doing is one that gives us their important analytics that you can yeah. be able to say, well, this is a kind of a profile of people that I want, and to our surprise. 70% of people that were reached by the advert that actually matched the profile were women. But guess what? Zero applied, 100% men applied for this thing. And yeah. it was very disappointing because, you know, every day we were, especially when I go to speak at conferences, it's always about equality, how do we get more women involved? And then when the opportunity is there, we don't apply and men are applying and are there. So on Monday, I must talk with Shivani about, on Tuesday, I must talk with Shivani about women being included. But on Friday, I'm leading an all-men all team yeah, because those right. are the people that applied. So because yeah. I couldn't sleep at night with such things, I had to start calling people from a, a number of ecosystem to say, well, we are looking for female design developers to join our team. So we had to try harder. We can't just say, oh, we put an advert, they didn't apply. That's it, which is what is happening. In corporate right now, in decision-making position, only 1% are actually yeah. women that are making yeah. decisions right. in blockchain technologies. And yeah. part of that, it could be corporate politics, but what also adding is that I feel like we are not stepping up and yeah. getting involved. We need a yeah. legal bit of a nudge, and it can be very uh, tiring for me as a project manager because I'm like, if I have to look hard and convince you to apply, do you understand what a fast paced environment we work in? Like, are you like two years old that we have to like tell you to go and apply and then what? Must we give you sweeties now to get you to do your job because it's yeah. gonna be fast paced. But the good part to that is that those female engineers that we had were so brilliant in the stuff that yeah. we were doing. And they understood exactly what we have to build, not just from a technical pers 
perspective, but from a user perspective, because we were building a platform whose consumer base were women. So if we don't incorporate that from the back end, from the build of the solution itself, yeah. the adoption is going to be a problem. And it was mm -hmm. such a successful project because we had the people that understand technical, understand business, and are also mm -hmm. consumers of the thing that we are trying to to build, which is very much epic. So those that's uh, what do you call it? Yeah, we, we had to work very hard. And the last thing that I will mention about that is the ownership part, the ownership of the IP and the implementation of the blockchain itself within our businesses. So yeah. at the moment, uh, in the past two years, even that one, we things are starting to change now. 80% mm -hmm. of our clients were actually made businesses so we found out that male led businesses were more keen to implement blockchain just me quicker yeah. than the female businesses so we had that wait and see if there's a new iphone being launched yeah we buy it just like that but then when there's changes that need to be made in business we're a bit hesitant but what we realized is once they were in they were in and once they were in they were telling other people like, oh, this is working. So that's what you can count on. We may be a little bit hesitant to be quick uh, adopters of certain things, especially on the production side. But once we are in, we're going to be telling like 10 of our friends that okay. you need to switch and use blockchain for your supply chain. So yeah. now you get one client who's a, who's a female and if they're excited, they tell another one. And you get one woman who goes into blockchain, they help 10 more women to understand the solution. So there's that effect. I, I'm not worried too much that our adoption is, because, is slow, but I know that those that are in blockchain, there's this sisterhood type of thing where they don't hold information. They tell you about opportunities, they mentor, they help others, they make sure there is impact in everything that they do. Right, right. Yeah, that's wonderful. Actually, there are a lot of uh, small communities of women that are helping out each other, especially in blockchain and NFTs. And like the, there's a whole another community uh, for uh, women artists who are uh, who are creating NFTs and selling and buying them. There is a whole community of uh, women blockchain developers who are uh, you know promoting each other uh, like on social media everywhere. They're supporting each other, and that's a wonderful uh, change of and that's a wonderful change and that's a movement. That's the kind of movement we need right now, especially oh. in technical things. Absolutely, absolutely, it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, just one question I wanted to ask: Women entrepreneurs are they keen? Like you might be in touch with other women entrepreneurs. Do you think that they are keen to learn about blockchain, or are they uh, actively uh, utilizing the blockchain technology? Absolutely, I I think weird enough most of the industries especially in emerging countries that benefits the most from blockchain they are um, women-led so that by default of that i know history is is an opposite of that because most beauty brands are owned by men high heels even our lingerie 
the biggest yeah. ones are actually owned by men. So we seem to kind of like get to consume stuff and not want to yeah. build stuff. So I'm hoping that this time we will actually stand up and embrace yeah. blockchain fast because unlike other revolution, the forced industrialization is actually industrial revolution is faster. So we don't really have 10 years to kind of think whether we like it or we don't like it, we're gonna have to kind of like get to it because at the end of a day, whoever gets to own the IP and own the platform control what's happening. Yeah. And us being in countries uh, like in, in continents like Africa, we have seen that where yeah. companies are coming from the outside, bringing some form of technology that causes trade to be easy. At the end of the day, we end up with poverty job. It's unfair. They are not paying the right taxes. They are not including women. We need to stop wanting to be included, really. But like where we are in blockchain, there's no inequality. If blockchain yeah. is new, if we really work harder, maybe we can have men empowerment in blockchain instead of women empowerment because we've opened so much gap. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that's a good thing actually. Like uh, as blockchain is decentralized, we can maybe, you know, equalize the, whatever the gap we are facing in current industry, right? So that, that might be a thing like we can, the more we promote, the more women will entertain and the more women uh, enter in blockchain is beneficial for everyone, right? Absolutely. That is very yeah. true. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, uh, the, yeah, the question one which I wanted to ask was, what would you like to share about like African startups and like more about African startups that are led by women, women entrepreneurs? So uh, why don't you talk about that? Absolutely. So I think that when it comes to blockchain, especially with the African startups, there's a number of things. This is, um, this is like an era of access versus value. So yeah. years ago, women globally, because that's what we share as women, it has nothing to do with race, all of us were our mothers or our grandmothers were not really allowed to go and work and actually have a job. And fast forward today in Africa, there's more female entrepreneurs than there is men entrepreneurs. 60% of businesses in Africa are actually led by women. But the question is, now that we have access into working, we are leading businesses, is the value really sitting with us? Do we own the market share of whatever is happening? Are we having quality jobs or poverty jobs? Would we retire and be comfortable? And the answer to that is no, because the majority of businesses in Africa are very informal. It's a good thing in a way because it's the entire economy of Africa, 80% of it is carried by when the employment side is carried by startups. So that is yeah. very good in that regard. But the thing is, Africa cannot longer afford to have informal businesses. We have to formalize. And during the time, these times of, uh, of COVID, it was a wake up call for many people because talking about a digitization was that thing that everybody hears about it, but it's like a distant thing. Until yeah. 
found out that there was this fund that was launched by the car by the government which was a relief fund to help small and medium businesses during the lockdowns to keep doors open and what was needed was something simple proof of trade meaning that can i prove it that i have been trading it was heartbreaking because one these businesses have been creating jobs they have been trading in millions but they just couldn't prove it because everything is done informally and now they've got to realize during crisis that it's not like oh yeah do i want a, a, a booking system so that i can digitally prove that i really had 10 clients today do i want an inventory management system so that i can prove that i held inventory of that mm -hmm. amount do i right. need a, 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 what do you call it those is it ERP systems that can like track everything about my business. When I speak yeah. uh, uh, formalization, I'm talking about proof, providing proof of trade so that when you need to grow, you've got data. When you need to get investors, you've got proof to show them that you've been doing good and you can do good in the next three years, 10 years. So that what has been missing a lot and that's how we've been losing value because we're just excited about getting involved we're excited about being in tech and being in health being in retail but at the end of a day when you look in the bigger picture you realize that we're just there but value is not retained with us and we can't move past starting it doesn't matter where and how you start at the end of a day is that we shouldn't stay and fight hustles and small businesses we need to scale businesses and have them sustainable so i think that that's where the african business is waking up to it's unfortunate that we had to wake up to that because of COVID. when we realized yeah. just how vulnerable we and exposed we are when we don't actually run sustainable businesses yes like on a brighter side we can say that covid helped the blockchain industry as a whole to progress a lot and we got to learn about decentralization and how that might be helpful for from small to medium to large industries from everywhere, right? So yeah, it took a COVID to make us realize that how, how blockchain is important. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so on an ending note, uh, pretty, what would you like to uh, share? Like what advice would you like to give to women entrepreneurs, especially related to blockchain? No, absolutely. So I think my favorite, I don't know if it's an economic word, but it's an English word is called prosume. So it's when people produce and consume and people may think it's like ages ago, but because I grew up in a village, we grew up like that. Yes. We produced stuff, we ate them and then we sold them to our neighbors. Everything yeah that was involved, whether it's clothes, we made them, we wore them, and then we sold them yeah. to the rest of the village, to the rest of the town. But the yeah. technology, blockchain technology now is enabling us to do that. On the other hand, you see macro influencers and big influencers. I was reading a report from one of the projects that we were working with when we were looking at the budget that was spent in that project for, it's a client's project for influencer marketing, where for every dollar we spend on macro influencers, 
the business realized 10 times, like meaning they got $10 for yes. more established influencer, they spend a dollar and they got $100. So the thing is now, if I'm in like an influencer, I have an access to 200,000 people. And then instead of just providing access, I can start building my own brands. So we are seeing the move towards that where a whole lot of women, especially, are starting lifestyle brands and they yeah. are making millions selling the stuff they like in the industry they enjoy. Not all of us must move towards sophisticated and difficult technologies like blockchain and mining and stuff. We need representation there, but we are leaving money on the table because we want access more than ownership so what i want to like would like to see i would like to see more female prosumers people that actually produce and consume at the same time people that right. make money and own the stuff that we consume all the time yes right yes that's quite actually good uh, we need influencers especially women influencers to promote blockchain that's how we can like reach out to more small business owners and more uh, women oriented businesses yeah absolutely uh, all right then pretty uh, okay on an ending note uh, we would like to end the podcast on a positive quote from your end uh, anything you would like to share with our audience Absolutely. So I think I would close with a quote. It's my favorite quote because it's from my dad. He's often said that a loaf of bread is, I mean, a, a half a loaf is better. This It's said that a half a loaf is better than no bread at all. He was a big critic of that because he believed that sometimes when you start from nothing, you may stop at a slice of bread or a half a loaf, but he always say never settle for that because if we are born in communities like Africa, India, we have been chosen to actually go an extra mile. We're not right. supposed to own a slice of bread. We're not supposed right. to own a half a loaf. We're supposed yeah. to own a bakery because a bakery is gonna feed you. Yeah. It's gonna feed your family. It's gonna feed the neighbor. It's gonna feed the whole village. We can't expect yeah. a guy from the next village to come and feed people in this village. So it's yeah. my favorite quote in that regard because we can do more than just wanting to have a slice of something. Yes. All right, uh, pretty. Uh, that was wonderful to uh, like uh, have a chat about women and blockchain and how uh, blockchain is beneficial in small businesses, especially that coming from your end is a big deal for us. Uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast show. It was wonderful to chat with you. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Uh, have a good day. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.